Thank you, Pastor Bob, and, and thank you for the, uh, the pastor's appreciation. We, we appreciate you. I know I, I think I speak for all the pastors when we say we, we really appreciate all you do. Nothing a pastor does makes much difference unless people are following and allowing to lead. As, as, as uh, John Maxwell says, if you're leading and nobody's following, you're just out for a walk. And so I'm glad uh, that we're not just out for a walk. Uh, you know, I, I know as I begin this service, I'm aware of the feeling that most of you have, and I think we just need to say a prayer. Lord, thank you for J.T. Barrett and Noah Brown and uh, Urban Meyer. And I know, I think there's something happening in Cleveland too, but I don't know. I'm a Cincinnati Reds fan, and, and our baseball season ends at the regular season. And so... Uh, Looks like everybody's awake, so nobody stayed up too late. Uh, what, what, did you, what did you take away when, when you grew up? What, what characteristics did, did you take from your parents? Uh, when you look back and you look at yourself now, how are you like mom and dad? Now, now Bob and Wanda. Bob and Wanda are my parents, and some of you, I see the, the laughters in the, in the pews. Uh, uh, you watch Christy and watch uh, Dee laugh, and you can see Dee in Christy when she laughs. Uh, Bob and Wanda, they were, they were wanderers, and they are wanderers. Now they're in their 80s, so it's a lot harder for them to wander. But they used to just like to go out for drives. Remember when you used to go out for drives on Sunday afternoon? Why in the world did we do that? that, 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 that but, you know, you just go for those long drives, and, and you'd have those conversations. I can remember sitting in the back of the car, and it was always, well, isn't this where such and such used to live? Really, who cares? Uh, but, but, you know, we did those long drives, as one, you know, where you just say, hey, let's turn left on this road and let's see where it goes. Any, anybody do that growing up? Yeah. And, and you know, I, I look at myself now. I have a bit of the wanderer in me. I, I don't take a lot of drives on Sunday afternoons, and I don't, I don't do those kind of things. But, but I like to turn on roads that I've never been on before. Uh, to just to see what might be at the other end of that road. So, so there's a little bit of Bob and wonder in me. I, I've been known to explore family forms. Your, your family, how you were brought up, your mom and dad, your siblings, uh, your family has been influential in who you are as a person, your identity. Now, so sometimes... It's the things in your family that you reject. <laughs> now, now, my dad, every holiday was a time to tear out a wall or do something in the house. It, it was the craziest thing. It, it, it's as if, and see, my dad was a barber. And if you don't know, barbers, you understand what I'm talking about, Frank. Barbers, if you don't work, you don't get paid, right? <laughs> And so he had very few days off. And when he had days off for the holiday, for some reason, he just could not resist doing major repair work, major things in the house. And I got to tell you, as a young man, I grew to dread the holidays, right? And so on the holidays, that, that's something that I have resisted in my life. Some of those qualities of mom and dad, the good qualities I hope I've gotten, but some of the qualities of my mom and dad in my life, it's formed almost a resistance. And some of you are like that. There, there's been things in your family's life that you've embraced. It, 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 you look more and more like your mom and dad every day, and everybody says, amen, and the Lord help us, right? 
Um, family forms. Sometimes it's the things we reject, and sometimes it's the things we embrace. And 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 the second service, I'll be saying, "Poor Spencer, <laughs> uh, you know, there's there's things in me that in 20 years you're going to be seeing in you that you make fun of now, but you're going to get it anyhow." <laughs> family forms, but it's not just family. We're not our identity is not just formed by our family. Our, our identity is formed by our friends. Though, and, and, and see, this means that you have a part to play in this. You can't choose the family you're born into, but you can choose who you have as a friend, who you spend your time with. And friends have a forming effect in your life. Think, think about it. You, you've got that one negative, and if they're sitting by you, don't look at them, okay? You've got that one real negative friend. Can't they kind of begin to shape you into an attitude that's negative as well. See, friends can form us, co-workers can have an influence on us, bosses can have an influence on us, teachers, you, you teachers out there, you have a huge impact on the identity of that person that you are teaching. Family forms, neighbors forms, friends form, co-workers, teachers, relationships form. Our relationship with others forms our identity, who we are. As a matter of fact, I believe even, and we'll get deeper into this, even our understanding of who God is oftentimes is formed in the midst of relationship, particularly in our relationship with people who identify themselves as Christians, as followers of God. And, and so we've been exploring this, and, and we began this series last week. We, we called it Life Together. Life Together, of course, or is, a, is a famous Dietrich Bonhoeffer book. We're not going off Bonhoeffer's book. It's probably worth reading, but, but, but I love that, that phraseology. I love that title, Life Together, because we, we find life together. It's, it's not just that we do life together, but we actually find life together. I believe God has designed us so that if we really want to know what it means to be a Christian, if we really want to know what it means to be full and real and whole, we can only find this in relationship with other people. So we find life together. And we've been tracing through this because relationships matter, particularly in the church. Uh, somebody say amen just to make me feel good, okay? That, that, there, there's your pastor appreciation gift for me. Say amen even if you don't mean it, okay? <laughs> we find life together in the church, and, and, and we've been tracing through this with a, an eye towards our core value, one of our core values. And, and as a church board, as church leadership, we've been, we've been working through this process of who we are as a people. And, and, and you know, there, there's, there's things that are essential in every church. You, you know, the Bible, if we're believers, the Bible is essential, right? Um, uh, you know, a, a correct theology is something that's a core value, right? We, we want to have a theology that is consistent with God's Word. That the Holy Spirit, the work of Jesus Christ, God the Father, all these things are essential uh, to, to Christianity. But we've been trying to trace through as a leadership team those core values that can help us move particularly forward as the people of God that God wants us to be. 
And the first core value that we're going to be talking about, there's five of them, but the first core value that we're talking about in this series is this, transformation through relational discipleship. In other words, what we're saying is all that we do in this, in this sanctuary as we gather is important. I think we're together and there's discipleship occurring here. But, but I firmly believe, and I believe it's the history of this church and, and, and the Nazarene denomination, and I believe it's the history of the, of the church in general, that we are transformed in relationship with one another. It's when we gather around the Word together and we study God's Word together that the Holy Spirit can do a transforming work in our midst. We, I believe it's essential. It's so essential. That, that we could have perfect gatherings in here. Everything could be perfect, but, but if, we don't, if we don't gather around God's Word, if we don't gather with each other in relationship, our discipleship will not be full. It happens in the midst of relationship. And those of you who've been around the church a long time, those of you who've been raised in the Nazarene church, if you look back at your history, I think you would say, you know, Pastor, that's right. I don't remember a lot of sermons, but I remember a lot of people who loved me and befriended me and walked me with me through life, right? <laughs> You know what, those of you who've been in this church for a long time, what, what's the most special thing? You know, you've, you've had great services, you, you've heard preaching, you, you've heard singing, all that stuff is significant. But, but, but the life-lasting, the lifelong thing that, that's in your life is not these big events, but these small relational events, the friendships that you've developed in this place. Amen? So, so we believe that we are transformed through relational discipleship. Last week, we, we, we talked about how we were created in relationship for, for relationship. In other words, our relational God ever existing in the, in the confines and the relationship of the Trinity, our God who is defined as love, and love can only be practiced in the midst of relationship. And so we, we believe the triune God has existed throughout, throughout eternity in the midst of relationship. He creates humankind in relationship for relationship. In other words, an essential need in your life is relationship. And we always talk about that God-shaped void in everyone's life. I believe there's also a human-shaped void in everyone's life. You know, it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. We need each other. And this week we're going to talk about how relationships with others forms our identity. Hear me here. Christian identity is formed in Christian community. Can you say that with me? Christian identity is formed in Christian community. If you don't take anything else that I've said from you today, let, let that simmer for a little bit. And, and as I preach this message, you know, the, the truth is, you know, I, it's not been that long since I sat and listened to sermon after sermon. And what I know is you're listening to me, but there's a thousand things going in on your mind right now as well, right? 
Uh, right? Yeah, you, you didn't even hear me say that because you were thinking about other things. <laughs> As I'm preaching, be thinking about those groups that you are connected to. If relationships form our identity, what are the essential relationships in your life and what are they forming in you? Um, look at, you know, be thinking about what are the values of this, the, the group that I'm connected to? What, what, what are they known for? What, what, what are the things that they do? And are, are those the things that you want to see bearing fruit in your life? Christian identity is formed in Christian community. And this is supported throughout the biblical record. God always moves through a people. He always, God is always has a people, whether it's Noah and his family, whether it's Abraham and his family, whether it's the people of Israel, whether it's a tribe, whether it's the 12 disciples, whether it's a family, God always moves in the midst of community. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. This is what is called the Shema. And this is, this is uh, uh, the people of Israel are getting ready to enter into the promised land. And they've, they've been on this wilderness event, this wilderness excursion, this, this exodus from Egypt where they're in the wilderness for 40 years and they're getting ready to enter into the promised land. And God is speaking through Moses to the people. And he says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates." In other words, you're getting ready to enter into the land and you have these significant family relationships and in this family relationships, you are able to shape the identity of your kids or you should be trying to shape the identity of your kids to follow the first great commandment, love God with every fiber of your being. That somehow in the midst of that relationship, you can do something significant if it's important enough to you. Now, th this is kind of a side note. Josh has your teens an hour, two hours a week. K Kim has your kids one hour, two hours, maybe three hours a week. And now some of you are saying, well, we'll gladly give them to them another 30 hours if they want. <laughs> the, the, the truth is, if you are waiting for the church to shape your kids for Christian service, for Christianity, for loving God, you're not reading your Bible very clear. Because the Bible says this is a family responsibility. Now, do I believe the church has no part to play? No. We are here to assist you, to encourage you, to supplement, to give you resources, to train. That is the purpose of the church. We, we should be training parents and giving you resources 
And in the time that we have, we should be training your kids. But this is something we do together. Now, now Reggie Joyner, who is associated with North Point, North Point Community Church, which is Andy Stanley's church, which is Charles Stanley's son, which is a Baptist minister in Atlanta, Georgia, if you don't know anything else, okay? Big church. Uh, he, he uses the phraseology, think orange. In other words, I believe the family is red and the church is yellow. And some people are red that it's all about the family. And some people are yellow. It's all about the church. He says, no, it's not about, it's not just about the family. It's not just about the church, but it's about us together. It's orange. See, families can, can train up their kids. You know, we have this profound ability as parents to train up our children in the way they should go. Now, I understand that's a, that's a principle that, that, that uh, we believe that every human being has a free will. And, and some of you have done the best you can with your, with your kids, and you've trained them up in that way, but they've exercised their free will, and they're, they're living another way. But there is the principle that families can form. That throughout history, God has used family. He has used village. <laughs> You may not like Hillary Clinton, and we're not going to get into that today, but she wrote a book that it takes a village. And I remember in the church, we, there were some that bashed the title of that book. I don't know why, because I believe it does take a village. It takes more, you know, it takes a community together doing things. The concept is valid, whatever you think about the rest of her policies. The concept of it taking a village is valid. And God has used villages and communities and families and clans to form the identity of his people. Let's flash forward to Jesus. Jesus comes and, 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 and he, he has all sorts of followers. Jesus, at one point, feeds 5,000 men. Which means that if, if, if there's the same amount of women and children as men, there's 10,000. I, I have a feeling there's probably more women and children. So there's probably 10 to 15,000 people who are following Jesus, right? You know, th think of it as in here. <laughs> you know, this is, well, we don't have 10 or 15,000 in here. That's, that's uh, pastorally counting, I guess. But, you know, it's a big group. Je Jesus has... Thousands of followers. People who are, who are around him, that, that are lingering around him in the margins, that are listening to him. And, and, and yet Jesus, although he teaches and he heals and he loves the multitudes, Jesus invests in 12. He takes the time to invest in 12, and, and of those 12, there's three that form the inner circle. See, see, Jesus taught in the midst of relationship, this intimate relationship with the disciples. And the relationship between Jesus and his disciples was essential to their formation. If there was anyone that walked the face of this earth that could say, okay, give me 250 people and I'm going to disciple them. It was Jesus, right? 
If there was anyone that could say, okay, just give me a big group setting like this and let me get a lectern and let me teach and I'll teach and that will be the end of it, it was Jesus. But Jesus, for those who were going to lead his church, didn't teach in that way. He selected a few. Now, Jesus at one point says, he tells the crowd, take my yoke upon you. And, and, and you know, when we think of yoke, we think of cattle and we think of farming or, you know, that, pulling a, a plow. But, but this yoke is, is rabbi language. It's teacher language. It, it's something a teacher would say. In essence, he, it, the imagery is that of a teacher to a student saying, take my way of life. And so Jesus is this rabbi, this teacher, and he, he, he asked the disciples to take on his way of life, to, to do life with him, to do life together. And, and this is the call for us. We are called, you are called. Essential, if you are, if you are a person that's trying to follow Jesus today, essential in that call is this ideal that I am a disciple of Jesus. How many of you, raise your hand, I'll put my hand down because I haven't, have physically been in the presence of Jesus? None of us have, have we? So how has Jesus discipled us? He has used other disciples. Now, I think, I think there's something we're missing in all this, and it's just been, been rattling through my brain. And, and in our next series, we're going to be talking about Jesus here. But, 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 I, but I believe that God's intention in our life is for His Holy Spirit to infill us in such a way. And when we encounter one another, that His Spirit has filled us, and we are encountering Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And as we encounter each other, we're encountering Jesus. But we are discipled by other people. And not only are we called to be disciples, we are called to make disciples. You are a disciple and you are called to make a disciple. Uh, G, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, this is the, the great commission. We, we talked about last week about the great commandment. This is the great commend, commi, commission. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, now, there's another sermon in here that we're not going to preach today, but there is a connection with the presence of Jesus Christ with our action of discipleship. Do you see it? Do you see it? There is a promise attached to discipleship that, that I'm not sure that you see in too many other places. But Jesus is saying, when you're in the act of discipling, when you're doing the mission I've given to you, I will be right with you. Amen. And last week we saw the great commandment. And the, the great commandment is a relational command. And the great commission gives us a relational mission. In other words, you cannot accomplish the great command 
without loving other people. Without relationship, it's impossible to, to accomplish what Jesus has asked us to accomplish in the great command, right? Now, you say, well, I can love people from afar. They're a lot easier to love from afar too, right? I'm a lot easier to love up here than when I'm right in your face. The call to make disciples. Our mission. The the mission statement that God has gave every disciple, every believer to go and make disciples is a relational mission. And you cannot fulfill God's mission in your life aside for relationship with other people. It's impossible. So, if we as a church want to be a great commandment, if we want to be a great commission church, the only way we can move forward, the only way we can accomplish that is through relationship. And if Jesus accomplished relationship, not in the big group, but in the small group, doesn't it just make sense that we should do the same thing? So it works both ways. We're formed by others. That's, we, we, we are disciples and we form others. We make disciples. So we are disciples making disciples. Now, I think this begs a couple of questions. Who is forming your identity? What crowd? Whose identity are you shaping? In other words, are, are there people, if... if if, if we were to have a private conversation and, and, and I said, okay, I want you to, to get a piece of paper and I want you to list some people that you are investing in. You, you could write down one, two, three, four names of people that, that you are through listening. <laughs> the first act of love is listening, right? The, the first act of discipleship is listening. Who in your life are you listening to? Are you loving? Are you you speaking grace and mercy and joy and peace into your life? Who are are you gathered around God's word? (laughs) And you're learning together what God would have for you. Who are you investing in? And then what are you shaping in them? Gossip, bitterness, you you know, these these things are particularly mentioned as sins. And, And oftentimes in the church, instead of speaking praise and thanksgiving and joy and things that are worth talking about, we settle for these things that only tear down. See, what are you speaking? What what are you shaping in those that God has placed before you? Can we go back to where we started? Christian identity is formed in Christian community. In the church, I I believe. I believe in the local church. Do you? I I believe in the local church. I, I believe in the local church because this is the place where we can have relationships with one another that can lead to discipleship. You know, there, there's nothing wrong. I, I hope you listen to other sermons. Or I hope you watch sermons. I hope you watch preachers on TV. And uh, maybe, maybe I get some hairstyles like them or something. I don't know. 
nothing wrong with any of that stuff. You know, that's all good. But, But your identity is meant to be shaped in this local church body. When the Bible talks about the church, we can talk about, oh, the universal church, the eternal church, the church of those in the past and those in the present, the church in heaven and all those things. When I think church, I think you. And I think when God talks about church, he thinks about this local church. Not just this local church, but this is the church. Christian friendships matter. Relationships in the church matter. You know, we, we live in a hectic age, don't we? And right now, I'm just kind of talking to you that have been around the church for a long time. Maybe you've just been in the church for a short time. Maybe, maybe you know, you're just kind of learning. And this is for you that have been around the church for a long time. Can you think back at an earlier day? Think back 40 years ago, some of you, 30 years ago, and think about the friendships in the church and where they were formed. And how often... Did you meet? Did people come over? <laughs> did, did you gather and just pray? Did you gather and just eat? Did you, did you gather and just spend time with one another? See, I, I can remember a day in the church. Man, man, I sound like an old person when I say that, don't I? But it's true. I can remember a time when it was common to be in other people's homes. Matter of fact, I, I, in, in my formative years, I, I had a lot of people which I called open-door people. <laughs> you know what an open-door person is? That's a person that you know. It doesn't matter what's going on. You could just drop by and come in. As a matter of fact, you could probably drop by, come in, go get food out of the refrigerator, and make a sandwich, and they wouldn't even blink, right? We need... And I don't, I'm not going to many volunteers for this, I guess. But I think the church needs to be full of open-door people, where, where, where people can just do life with you, and they know that you're going to love them. You know, the, the, the church has to be a place that when I fall down, the church doesn't stone me while I'm laying down. It can't be that. I mean, it misses the whole beauty of what God's trying to do. So the call of this series is 90 together. 90 together. 90 minutes with others in this congregation, with Christian friends, with with other people outside this worship environment where you can gather around the Word, where you can pray with one another, where you can just love each other, where you can get to know each other. Now, I've asked for, and I've already already got... um, Three people who have volunteered for open houses in December. And, and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm mindful of the fact that if we have like 20 open houses in December, you guys will kill me, right? Uh, that's a lot of open houses. But, but there's probably room for more. I, I, I've asked for, for small group hosts and small group leaders. I had one last week that said they would host a small group. And, and so I need people who would be willing to, to lead or to host a small group. I I would love, what would a win be? I would love to have 
10 new small groups beginning in January. 10. That, that's the number I'm putting out there. And if, if God sends us four, we will celebrate. If God sends us 24, we'll celebrate, right? Small groups, hosts, and, and, and leaders. I, I have one existing small group that's got room for more. So if you're interested in diving in right now, see me. And, and we'll plug you into a small group right now. They've got room for one or two more couples. And then we've been closing every week with communion. I want you to close your eyes with me for a second. You've been wanting to do that a long time anyhow. And imagine you you go to a restaurant today and you're with your family and and what do you do? You can open your eyes. I don't think this is helping the experience any. So let's just open our eyes. You go to the restaurant and you've got your kids with you and, and, and you send your kids to sit with one group of people, right? And you go sit by yourself. Now, that's the fantasy. Uh, you can't do that, right? You're, you sit with your kids. You know, it's not like you just go in the restaurant. Hey, I'm, Terry, I'm going to go sit with those people. Why don't you go sit with them? And we'll send Spencer to sit with those folks. No, we don't do that, do we? We, we gather at one table together. That's what communion is. <laughs> communion is the people of God gathering together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes I, I think we get the wrong idea of what we're doing in, in, in here on a Sunday morning. We, we begin to think that Sunday morning is the point. It's not. Man, I I may lose my job over this. Sunday morning's not the point. Sunday morning is forming something in us that we're meant to live out in the world. So, Chris came up with his team and we sang. And we expressed thanksgiving. And we expressed praise. And so that is, that is meant to create within us this seed, this understanding. Number one, that God is worthy of praise. Amen? Amen. Uh, we were at um, a concert last night. Um, shoot. I can't remember his name. Somebody who saw my... Phil Wickham. I love Phil Wickham for this reason. Phil Wickham writes love songs to God. <laughs> you know, You're beautiful. Worship forms within us this understanding that God is worthy of our expressed love. Not just on Sunday morning. If it's just on Sunday morning, we're missing the point. But every day of the week. It forms in us people who are thankful. That, that, that can, can express thanks to God. Not just on Sunday, but through the week. You know, we, we greet one another, we, we shake hands, and, and that's meant to form within us and form us as a people who practice hospitality. That, that we're friendly and welcoming and open. See, it's forming something. What we gather around the word, not just for, you know, oh, let's have an interesting talk, but, but I hope it creates within us this hunger to gather around God's word through the week. Amen? If this is the only word you get all week, it's not enough. Amen. How many of you will eat today, right? How many of you will eat Monday? 
God's Word is like food. You need it every day. And so we gather around God's Word, not as the end, but as a, a formation. You know, I, I hope we, we, we talk about things that are helpful and you can use through the week and you think about it. But, but, but the whole goal is that through the week, you'll, you'll have gathered around God's Word here. It, it, it will have made you hungrier for God's Word. And you'll gather around it Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. Friday and Saturday. Okay. I know all the weeks, days of the week. I'm good. And communion. It is not just a worship rite, but but communion is creating something within us where we look around at who's gathered in the table and we say, those are my brothers and sisters and Christ. And if there's something wrong in that relationship, I need to make it right. We always use, and or most of the time we use, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven, And 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. Paul says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. There is a context to that. Now, I think typically you think, well, you know, if, if I'm living in sin, I can't receive communion. And maybe there's some truth to that. But the context of this passage is that you have Corinthians who are gathering for the Lord's Supper and they're eating on their own and they don't give a rip about relationship with other people. And Paul's saying, you're missing the whole point of this gathered meal. It's a meal that reminds us that horizontal and vertical relationships matter. And that is why for the next two weeks after this, we'll receive communion. I want you to be reminded that through his blood and through his body, Jesus has restored relationship with one another. And if there's a breach, if there's a break, if there's something, reconciliation needs to occur through his body, through his blood, it can still occur. So we're going to dismiss to the back and we're going to receive it together today. We've got the little cups and and, and the little, the real little pieces of bread. (laughs) And so we're going to receive it together. So what we're going to do is they'll dismiss from the back. And uh, you'll come and get the elements and, and then go back to your seat and I'll give you instruction after you get back to your seat. If you need any assistance in receiving the elements, uh, let one of the ushers know and we'll make sure uh, that you're served at your seat. Let, let's pray first. Lord, help us now as we receive these elements to receive them in a worthy manner with an understanding that this isn't just about me and you, but it's about me and my brother and my sister. May my relationships with them be right. May my relationship with you be right. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.